Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to today's episode of Mod Path Chat. Joining me today is Dr. Ann Mills. Dr. Mills is an associate professor of pathology at the University of Virginia, a rising star in GYN pathology by all means. Her translational research focuses on predictive biomarkers of immune therapy response, uh, specifically in gynecologic cancer. And she's going to talk to us uh, about this topic. And specifically, she's here today to discuss her recent article in Modern Pathology uh, about MHC class 1 uh, role in endometrial uh, cancers and potential evasion of immune response. Thank you, Anne, for accepting my invitation. I'm delighted to be here, Dr. Netto. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful. I'm sure uh, this will be one of, uh, we've had so many uh, good podcasts and this definitely will be one of them. Uh, so uh, let's start, as we usually do, talking about the background of what led you to do the study, the rationale, and will be good for our audience, including myself, to teach us a little bit about MHC role and, and how you came about doing the study. Absolutely. So I think to start, um, I'll go before I started looking into MHC class one and really getting into the backstory of why I started to investigate immunotherapeutic biomarkers, specifically in M MMR deficient or mismatch repair deficient cancers to begin with. I started looking at MMR deficient cancers in residency with a specific focus on Lynch syndrome. But as immune checkpoint inhibitors gained traction, I really became interested in the therapeutic significance of MMR deficiency in this tumor type. And that was interesting to me because endometrial cancers are typically treated with surgery and a subset with chemotherapy, but in the setting of recurrence, often they can be quite resistant to the existing therapeutic approaches. So immunotherapy is a great option for some of these tumors. And initially, our investigations focused, as much of the immunotherapy literature has, on PDL1. Our group and Brooke Howitt, who was formerly at Brigham, now at Stanford, um, we all showed that if you look at MMR deficient cancers, they have really enhanced expression of PDL1 
compared to MMR in tax tumors. And that really makes good biologic sense. These are hypermutated cancers. They have up to 100 or so mutations per megabase. And all those mutations cause neoantigens. And those neoantigens elicit an immune response. Now, unfortunately, the tumors are smart and they can then evade that immune response by expressing checkpoints, immunosuppressive checkpoints, like PDL1 and basically cloak themselves to immune attack. So in turn, these cancers can be quite vulnerable to drugs that then block those immunosuppressive checkpoints. And uh, that was really underscored specifically in the setting of, of mismatch repair deficiency by the 2017 science article that Lee and colleagues published, which showed that any solid tumor with MMR deficiency is potentially a great candidate for immunotherapy targeting the PD-1, PD-L1 axis. So this was really exciting. I think a lot of us were getting requests for MMR testing in a wide variety of tumor types. But the problem was not all of these cancers were responding. It wasn't working wonders for every patient, even in the setting of MMR deficiency. A lot of people focused on limitations um, potentially related to our assays. Had we chosen the right assay? Even with pdl one staining, there are a lot of quibbles about um, whether the clone is correct. But I wondered if maybe we needed to look deeper at the complexity of the immune milieu to see if there might be other reasons tumors were successfully evading these immunotherapeutic approaches, even when biomarkers like PDL1 and mismatch repair status told us they would be great candidates. And so that's kind of the long-winded backstory. So I worked with one of my, my colleagues, Tim Bullock, on this, and uh, he's an immuno immunologist here at UVA. He's a PhD, brilliant guy. And we started looking at other targetable checkpoints, things like TIM1, LAG3, and over the years have shown that they're also overexpressed in MMR-deficient cancers. But Dr. Bullock kept telling me, none of this matters if you don't have MHC class one. So that's the long roundabout way that I started to learn about MHC class one. That's, and, that's so <laughs> go on. Yeah. No, wonderful. It's uh, it's a great story. Yeah, it's it really was um, quite a winding path. And Dr. Bullock uh, had sort of had MHC class one on my radar for a while, but it really came to the surface for me as as we started to see the somewhat disappointing data emerge, not only in some endometrial cancers, but across tumor types that whatever biomarkers we were using just weren't perfectly predictive of response. Um, and so I, I then had to do a little refresher for myself in tumor immunology. I didn't remember um, the exact function of MHC class one, but it's, it's really quite fascinating. It basically functions as a flagpole on which neoantigens are expressed. So a tumor will uh, potentially express these non-self antigens on its MHC class one molecule. And that flags it for cytotoxic T cell attack. And MHC class one is ubiquitous across nucleated human cells. Um, it's present in really everything except our, our um, anucleate cells. And its loss is abnormal. Um, so tumors, it seems, can adaptively downregulate or lose MHC class one expression as a way to avoid this neoantigen display and um, avoid invoking the adaptive immune response. Which bring us to this study. Yes. Right? So that's what you wanted basically to look at. So, so what was the design and, and what did you find? 
Yeah, so we looked at in this endometrial carcinoma group, because it is so enriched relative to other solid tumors for mismatch repair deficiency. And we focused on mismatch repair deficient cancers and intact cancers. And we divided our MMR deficient cancers into hypermethylated tumors, the MLH1 hypermethylated tumors, and tumors that had attained their MMR deficiency through other mechanisms, be they germline mutations or somatic mutations in the other MMR genes. And we wanted to divide that up because data from other studies we've, we've done has shown that the mechanism of mismatch repair deficiency might matter. For instance, our hypermethylated tumors express more uh, TIM3, which is another targetable checkpoint. Mm -hmm. Our MSH6-mutated tumors tend to express more pdl one So we wondered if maybe we would find differences there. Um, the spoiler alert is that we didn't. In fact, we saw loss of MHC class 1 across the board. It was seen in about 40% of our tumors, um, slightly increased, but not really significantly increased in the setting of MMR deficiency versus MMR intact cases. And that was on par with um, one prior study that DeYoung and colleagues did um, in the early, two, I think 2012, uh, that showed around 40% of cases having MMR loss. So that's a pretty big subset of tumors for which this mechanism of immunotherapeutic evasion may be relevant. So that really, um, really uh, drove home to us that this could be important for our patients. So you, you found around 42%, right, uh, mm -hmm. of the cases. And, uh, and how, yeah, can you say a word about this subclonal loss versus diffuse? Because I'm always struggling with all these markers, what is... I mean, I don't need to go talk about PDL one. It's it's a mess. But but it even for the other markers, so so how did you go by for? Yeah, it is a mess. So we looked at what's been written about MHC class one before and decided to um, consider our cases uh, in really three categories: completely intact expression, which again is the normal state for human cells and sort of the default state for tumor cells unless they lose this marker. Um, partial expression, where you have a proportion of the tumor um, that shows abrupt loss. And it, re it really is interesting. I think some of the figures in the paper illustrate you can just get this abrupt clonal looking loss pattern um, as if part of the tumor has just figured out how to get rid of this um, protein on its surface and the rest of it hasn't. And so we called that partial or subclonal loss. And then complete loss, which was less common, only 16% of our cases showed that but those are tumors that throughout have lost expression. And I, I will add, I mean, an obvious limitation is that we did this on a single whole section. So it's always possible that the section we have was not entirely representative. Um, we didn't stain the entire tumor reduced to glass, but we did stain whole sections, which I think um, it's preferable to staining a tissue microarray because you may, lose, you may lose some, uh, you know, partial loss in that setting. That's uh, that's great. So uh, yeah, and, and a point about TMA for for our audience, it's it's helpful for initial observation, but really uh, the heterogeneity, especially if you're looking at uh, tumor microenvironment, it's it becomes really an issue in this. So I congratulate you on uh, on your study. Now, so where uh, where we go from here? What's future direction? One thing comes to mind for me is is uh, you apply it down to the molecular subclassification that you have now in endometrial doesn't matter in one versus the other so that's a great point plan. yeah absolutely so you know we we haven't looked for instance at poly mutated cancers specifically my hope is that 
um, they will go on to get FDA approval uh, for for MMR uh, for the same kind of treatments we we can give to MMR uh, deficient cancers because the biology is really the same if not enhanced. So we don't have fully status on our cancers, so that's a real shortcoming. Um, but my hope is that this may be relevant for those tumors as well. Um, another shortcoming that I hope becomes an asset soon because we're working on it is the fact that we don't have any cancers in this data set that have received immunotherapeutic treatment. We don't have follow-up data. Um, but we're starting to assemble a cohort and we're now applying this marker to the women we know who have been treated with uh, anti-PD-1 therapy to see how they did and to see if, if MHC class one status was predictive of their response. And then another really cool future direction is that MHC class one loss may render a tumor fairly invulnerable to adaptive immunity, but it actually enhances its vulnerability to innate immunity because lacking MHC class one makes a cell inherently non-human looking. And so it gets um, automatically uh, registered by the body as foreign and provokes an innate immune attack. Um, unfortunately, innate immunity doesn't seem to be all that powerful at fighting well-established tumors on its own, but there's a growing interest in the immunotherapy world about strategies to enhance the innate immune system. And this gets at some of these sort of immunologically cold tumors, we call them, we don't have a good lymphocytic response, but that perhaps might be good candidates for, say, NK cell-directed therapy. Um, so that's a really exciting direction that I'd love to follow as, um, as this story emerges. Sounds uh, very exciting. A lot of uh, future studies to do. And uh, knowing that you lead uh, the fellowship uh, in your place, uh, a lot of work for future fellows too. Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Mills. This has uh, been uh, very uh, uh, enjoyable. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you today. And I uh, look forward to additional publications in ModBath. Absolute pleasure working with you, and I also look forward to uh, working more with the journal. Thank you so much. Thank you. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.